If you could be completely in control of your content from pre-production through to distribution while being financially free and independent from networks and other overseeing organizations, wouldn't that be a dream come true as a wildlife filmmaker? If you like the sound of that, stay tuned. My guest this episode is Coyote Peterson, and he really has taken his destiny into his own hands and been extremely successful doing so. Of course, it wasn't always like that. It took a huge amount of work and trial and error to get there. But with 20 million YouTube subscribers now and over 4 billion views on his Brave Wilderness channel, Coyote has learned a thing or two about building a brand from the ground up. And we're going to hear all about it after a word from our sponsor. This podcast is proudly powered by Battleborn Batteries. Let the power of lithium take you on your journeys across the outdoor world. Battleborn Batteries is the industry's top choice for lithium-ion batteries. Reliable, safe, and long-lasting, Battleborn makes the sustainable and lightweight drop-in replacement for traditional lead-acid batteries. Are you ready to make the switch to lithium and switch to green energy? If so, all batteries are in stock now, and you can shop today at battlebornbatteries.com. Good morning, Coyote. How are you doing this morning? I'm good, Jake. How about yourself? I'm very well, thank you. Yeah, very well. The sun is shining. Uh, what's it like where you are? Uh, actually, pretty sunny today. We had snow this past weekend. Today, it's about to hit 60 degrees, and it feels like spring is finally here, so I'm happy about that. Awesome. Yeah, yeah. No, it's doing that. Spring's been here for about the last three months, so <laughs> not sure what's happened there, but there we yeah. go. Hey, it's a pleasure to have you on. I've been wanting to get you on for a long time and discuss your your career path and, and where you are and what you're doing. Uh, it's exciting stuff. So let me start by trying to get a bit of background on Coyote Peterson. Where did it all start from you? What was your inspiration to do this? Sure. I mean, it's a, it's a very long story. I will sure, certainly give you the abridged version for the sake of today's podcast. Um, you know, a lot of my background really comes in the art of storytelling. So I went to the Ohio State University and got a degree that I created myself. It was called a personalized study program um, in screenwriting, producing, and directing. I never intended to be a person that was in front of a camera by any means whatsoever. I always wanted to be the guy behind the cameras, telling the story, capturing the amazing moments with you know the technology that was available to me at the time and certainly anything that was going to be the future. Uh, and when we started developing an animal adventure series uh, over a decade ago now, uh, I realized that I was pretty much the best person to be in front of the camera because of my knowledge of animals, but mainly my ability to catch and interact with them. So that's something I've been honing as a skill since I was a very little kid, uh, chasing around snakes, snapping turtles, frogs, you name it, where I grew up in Northeastern Ohio. I had an entire adventurous uh, childhood, essentially, of um, some of our planet's coolest but in some senses, safest creatures to practice with until you worked your way up to the ranks of snapping turtles. So uh, combining my love for storytelling and animals together is pretty much what landed me where I am today. And I think, you know, having that experience with wildlife is the most important part of this. And so that's obviously mm -hmm. a big question I have for you is, you know, doing the things you do and we'll get more into some of the stuff you've, you you do in your shows um but but yeah. doing what you do you know capturing animals having the ability to understand what an animal's going to do etc cetera, etc cetera, it takes a long time to build that up and i always say to people whenever i'm giving advice on this stuff is it's more important to learn that stuff than it is to learn mm -hmm. the camera stuff because the camera stuff comes pretty easy after a while so what, yeah. what was that progression like for you from, from kind of catching frogs and toads and things like that, moving up to these more dangerous uh, creatures? Yeah, it, you know, it's tough. I have a lot of people that will come to me and say, you know, how do I get uh, a job in the world of, of animals, right? And that's a very vague term, the world of animals. But for people sure. that want to be 
a show host, you know, I'll always be the first one to tell you, first and foremost, a good show host is somebody who's not getting bitten and stung by stuff, even though I'm sure we'll <laughs> touch on the fact that bites and stinks have made our brand incredibly popular. Right. Uh, as a kid, you know, it was very much about wanting to explore these creatures' environments. And as any kid will, you're going to be curious and you're going to try to catch your frogs and your toads and your, your hopefully non-venomous snakes. And as I got older and realized that I was really good at being able to not only put myself into position to be able to get close to some of these things, but it's about truly it's an art form to be able to catch something gently enough, but to still be fast enough with your moves to where you're almost in the position of a predator. And any animal that you catch is thinking, oh my gosh, am I about to be eaten? But the second they aren't being bitten or clawed or mishandled, they realize that, all right, the best thing I can do right now is conserve my energy, chill out. There's clearly humans around me. There's cameras, even though most animals don't know what cameras are. And for the most part, they stay completely chill. And, you know, these animals may not realize it, but they are getting the chance to be these incredible superstars, these ambassadors for their species. And in many instances, we feature animals on the Brave Wilderness YouTube channel or in any of the television work that I've done that are, are misunderstood species, creatures that maybe have been wrongly vilified or that people just have a natural fear of ingrained in them throughout the history of humans having negative interactions, but they're getting the chance to spin their story in a different direction with what it is we're able to share with the audience. So when you combine it all together, uh, it's just a, a, a skill that I, I worked on for many, many years as a kid. I uh, really kind of gave up on it for a while when I was in college and was pursuing that film degree. Uh, but when we brought it back around full circle, I realized it was kind of like riding a bike. I never really lost that ability. And, you know, one of the things that, you know, I guess I, I pride myself in a lot is that I am pretty good at getting close to these things and being able to have those moments where something is successfully encountered and whether it's a catch or it's just get close and then we can capture those moments on camera. And anybody that has or has played this role before as an animal adventure show host will tell you it is a lot more difficult than it probably looks. Yeah. And of course, you know, the same with any filmmaking, what you're seeing on camera or in the final show is, you know, a minute amount of the filming that took place. I'm sure there's plenty mm -hmm. of uh, behind the scenes that, you know, never makes it or, or you don't get the capture. I mean, you know, that's how it was certainly when I was doing it, you know, we would we'd make multiple attempts to trying to catch something and, and you would, yeah. you know, you'd film every attempt and then obviously take the ones that work. But let's, let's go back a little bit. So you, you went to a higher university. You then, once you, you came out of that, take us through um, with a little bit of detail, kind of where you then made the decision to go into, to become a YouTuber and to take that avenue. Um, what, you know, what was the decision? Did, did you think about, pitching shows to uh networks did you go down the youtube route because it was just this new place where you know we could really do anything we wanted what was that that choice like yeah and just for clarity it's it's the ohio state university where i went not oh, ohio sorry. university those are both great schools in ohio but mine specifically sure. is, is ohio state so once i graduated from ohio state uh you know, I spent several years pursuing the independent film world, um, had a script that I had written that got very close to being produced, uh, a small independent picture, uh, about a $5 million budget. And at that time, you know, being a 25-year-old kid just out of school, the chance to get to work with a $5 million budget was massive, yeah. right? Long story short, that didn't end up working out. And we quickly pivoted into this idea of creating an animal adventure series. Um, Steve Ir Irwin had tragically recently passed away around this time. Uh, Bear Grylls was also beginning to make his come up uh, through the discovery ranks with, with Man vs. Wild. And we saw this opportunity to start creating the Steve Irwin-inspired, fast-paced adventure, editing, cool music style that Bear was doing and combine them together. And instead of eating animals like Bear was doing, it's like, how do we bring back that conservation education perspective that Steve and, and Jeff Corwin did such a, a good job of? Um, and it, it was a lot of development time. There was so much that went into building Brave Wilderness that nobody's ever seen before the launch of our YouTube channel in 2014. I probably got a thousand no's before I got a single yes when it came to somebody giving us the chance to do something. And some of the biggest stories involve us almost... Uh, 
collaborating with the Columbus Zoo, which is obviously based here in Columbus, Ohio, and Jack Hanna, who is a, a very prominent figurehead in the world of animals, adventure, and education. And there were early talks about Jack and I collaborating together on some projects. Um, had a lot of promise early on, but unfortunately, when it comes to aligning budgets and getting somebody to actually commit the money that it takes to go out and produce 25 to 30 episodes, becomes quite the uphill battle. So we had a lot of doors that would open and then close, and then a window that would open that we would manage to sneak through, and then that would somehow end up not working out. So there were a whole lot of roadblocks early on that really deterred us in the sense that you seem like at that point you would have given up and said, okay, this is just not the, the direction to go. And, and my business partner, Mark, and I, uh, we both had full-time day jobs that we were working at the time, but we spent all of our vacation time and all of our weekends producing and filming in the background on our own. And where it ultimately came together was Discovery Communications was launching their digital arm. This was at the time when YouTube was just beginning to become popular and it was just recently monetized for content. And Discovery was creating something called Discovery Digital Networks. We got the chance to pitch them and lo and behold, they said, look, we love your concept. It was a show called Breaking Trail. But unfortunately, we don't have any money that we can give you. So if you guys can go out and secure your own financing, we will give you the distribution platform. And Mark and I thought that this was the biggest opportunity in the world because they were trying to create Discovery Channel and Animal Planet in the digital space. We said, yeah. look, if we can get our foot in the door with this, maybe we'll work our way up to a TV show. So they contracted 12 episodes from us. Again, no money supplied. We went out and raised um, angel investment to do this. And we went out and produced 52 episodes. Wow. They asked for 12, we produced 52. And the way that we looked at it was that if we release one episode every week for a year, that will hopefully show to them that we have so much drive and ambition that if you give us the right amount of money in your second go around for ordering content, maybe we would get the chance to either A, get a budget from you guys or B, just get moved up in the, in the food chain and get to make a show for Animal Planet. Well, we quick, quickly grew to become the largest channel at Discovery Digital Networks. And after a couple years of a, of a few brand deals not aligning the right way, we were like, look, we are grow growing too fast for you guys. And we essentially split off. Brave Wilderness then really hit its rocket ship rise. It was in 2016 that we separated from Discovery Digital Networks and we launched the whole Sting campaign. And the channel just went viral overnight and we never looked back. Wow. So, I mean, first of all, one of the things it just shows again, and this comes up obviously with this industry time and time again, and that is that it's perseverance. It's the P's, it's passion, mm -hmm. it's perseverance. If you don't have that perseverance and that passion to keep going yourself, you know, there's no point waiting for people to come and give you a check because that doesn't happen, right? You've got to get out there and no. you've got to make it happen yourself. And you're the absolute, you, you know, you guys show that that's exactly how it can work. So, so when you, yeah, there's, uh, there... go ahead. Oh, I was just say one of the, one of the big misconceptions early on with the launch of our channel and YouTube is that because our production quality was so much higher than anything else that was out really on YouTube at the time. People assumed that Discovery was financing our work, where at the end of the day, I mean, believe it or not, just like you said, where no one's going to hand you a check. Here you have Discovery Communications investing all of this money in their digital arm, yet they have no budget to be able to supply their yeah. content creators. So yeah, for everybody that thinks that we had a big discovery investment early on to launch Brave Wilderness, they were solely mistaken. This was all done with blood, sweat, tears, and a very small sub $50,000 investment that got um, the first 52 episodes of the Brave Wilderness channel produced. Uh, it's great to hear because I think, you know, so many people do think that, you know, people like yourselves where they can see such success had this great start they just you know it's the same i think you and i've touched on this before that with social media these days there is just this success is out there everywhere and people just think that success happens overnight and of course you know hearing it from you showing that exactly what you had to go through to get to where you are and to build those uh, viewers up 
Um, it's the same with, it doesn't matter whether you're doing it for YouTube or whether you're doing it for a network or whether you're trying to pitch, you have to have all that pre-production in place first, right? You've got to have those story ideas. I think so many people don't understand what goes into it beforehand. They could watch some of your shows and think, wow, these guys got a camera ran out into the wild and they're doing this. And I've seen so many people try and emulate that, whether it's yourself or Steve Irwin, people out there. But there's if it's not held together by the glue that is a story that has some thread running through it, then it, it just doesn't work. Um so, so this is this is fantastic. I mean, it's really good to hear the behind the scenes of this. So now I'm I'm really interested with that. You said that you had that year, you made those fifty two, but then after that, when you broke away, you started with the Sting. Uh, how did you call it? The Sting theme. The, the, the yeah, I mean, the climb up Justin Schmidt's Insect Sting Pain Index. You know, right. it's kind of like. Um, you know, look, I was hugely influenced by George Lucas and Steven Spielberg growing up. And yeah. when you know about Steven Spielberg the way that I do, which a lot of people do, I'm not saying I'm anything special, but <laughs> the way that he built his career and the success of his empire was taking other people's really great story ideas and finding out how to transition them from paper to screen, right? Yeah. Script to screen, book to yeah. script to screen. And with Justin, you know, he had he had wrote in that book, The Sting of the Wild. And we weren't even really familiar about Justin's work until we had filmed our first Sting episode, which was actually about harvester ants. And we had filmed the episode before we knew who Justin was. And then we started doing research and tied in this idea of building up this this you know, this whole hierarchy to eventually get to the bullet ant. We had no idea it would be as successful as it was. And in 2016, when we started going down this road, uh, again, my business partner, Mark, and I recognized the ability at the time of YouTube and its audience to gravitate towards something they would look forward to, which was completely unheard of at that time in the YouTube space, right. where it's almost like we were creating a little mini movie and then we were teasing what the sequel would be. And then what's going to be the third in the trilogy. And we just kept building and building and building on that. And at the time became one of the fastest growing channels in, in YouTube history uh, in that era. And people just couldn't get enough of seeing me do these crazy, uh, unthinkable stunts of getting bitten and stung by things. And again, going back to something I said earlier, like for me, it seemed crazy because I'm really good at not getting bitten and stung by things. Like you're not doing a very good job as a yeah. wildlife presenter yeah. if you're constantly getting maimed. Sure. Um, but the fact that we were able to take that and what, you know meld in the entertainment with a very consistent thread of education, we got everybody on board. And yeah. that everybody really being an audience accepting this concept and then sharing it and watching it and just, I mean, the thing spread like wildfire and it's it's really what we owe a big piece of the viral rise and success to, to the Brave Wilderness sure. brand is obviously centered around that, those sting yeah. episodes. So how did you build yourself up to, I mean, the th it, it, I mean I'm sure during the pre-production, you had a great idea of the insects and the, the various wildlife that you're going to have sting you or bite you throughout the whole series. So, you know, knowing that you had things like the tarantula hawk, the the bullet ant that were just going to be unbelievable. You didn't know how you were going to react to them. And, and mm -hmm. we'll get onto the safety side of that in a little while because I'm, I'm interested with that. But how did you build up to that from a point of view of knowing, okay, we're going to do all these things. We'll start off here and then we'll make our way, you know, to the bullet ant. What was the build-up like? I mean, were, were there moments where you were you were thinking, okay, th this isn't such a good idea. I could die doing this. You know, <laughs> maybe maybe we change this. Yeah, that's that's a good question because you know, at first, you know, people ask, well, which one was the scariest? And and I always go back to well, the the, the very early ones were the scariest because doing something like that for the first time, you don't know how your body's going to react right. to these different venoms. And the more and more of them that I did, I think the more comfortable I became, not only because I was like, all right, well, so far so good with how my body reacts, but it also comes to the storytelling side. Once we, when we create sting episodes, we know the formula so well at this point for what we need to do. There's this certain level of confidence that's instilled in you when you go out and you make a piece of content. And if you can successfully find the animal you're after and make the catch so that you know you've got it on location to even go through the, the performance of being stung by it. Yep. You've got the confidence that the audience is going to love what it is you create. And as a presenter, 
that fills you with this whole next level of confidence. It's like a really good athlete, whether it's a, a, a baseball player or a basketball player that's going to go out against an opponent where they're like, yeah, I, I know I'm going to hit a home run off of this pitcher, or I know I'm going to score 35 points tonight. My team's going to win the game. When you can go into the scenario, scenario knowing you're going to get a win, it helps you tell the story with so much more passion. And it puts the entire team that works on this in a place that's like, we know we are making a hit. Uh, and that's what's unique about the YouTube space is you're actually able to catalog and see and get that feedback from the audience, not only in views, but also in comments. And that becomes a huge morale driving piece for an organization at the end of the day when you know that your work is being seen and, and justified and celebrated by this many people. So yeah. all those things combined together really then became my driving force. As I went on with the stings, because the audience just wanted to see what was next. How are you possibly going to top the next one? And, you know, with the, with the story structure of things, because I write all of the scripts and for clarity, the scripts come after everything is filmed. So everything you see in the field is either research I've done to know about these animals or improv, right? There is no lines that I memorize. All scripts come after the fact when I work with the post-production team and write what my vision is to tell this perfect tale that celebrates an animal and shows you the extreme aspects that I've gone through to, to get to the story. Sure. Um, and, and for that, we just have such a great time working on every piece of content that we produce at Brave Wilderness. But the Sting ones, they're always extra special. Yeah, and and I think that formula of building up, as you say, you know, having that ability to, again, you've done your pre-production and, and that's so important here because mm -hmm. now you know what's coming next. I know in the Tarantula Hawk, I think came just before the bullet and you're building up, you're building up to, I wonder if this is going to be as bad. Wow. This really hurts. Is this, you know, can the bullet ant possibly be worse than this? And, you know, we'll find out next time. I mean, to have that formula, as you say, is, is a winner because mm -hmm. there's so often that you can't do that with network TV because you, you never know, even though you have a series lined out, they could be changed around. Um, mm -hmm. You know, often they want to be able to have them as potentially standalone if they can uh, so there's so many restrictions when you're working with network tv that you just don't have and as you say having all that feedback real-time feedback is astonishing because again with network tv you rarely hear and unless something's bombed or done really well you rarely hear what's going on in terms of viewership and, and how well the audience mm -hmm. is it's all focus groups more than the audience itself which, which it is. And, you know, I, I've gotten a fair amount of experience in that world from doing the 18 part series, Brave the Wild, that we did for Animal Planet. And, right. you know, we were in a very unique position when we produced that show because Brave Wilderness was already such a successful brand. We had complete creative control of that series. We had a wonderful executive team that we worked with it at Animal Planet. But at the end of the day, we, we negotiated final cut on those episodes. So every one of those went through myself and my senior editor, Chris, as the last look of approval before anything aired. So that means it was my, my script, my choice on, on final shots that were put in there. And, and they, they gave us the freedom to run and tell the story that we knew how to. And uh, Kurt Tondorf, who was the president of Animal Planet at that, that time, um, who gave us the chance to make that series, he trusted that. He recognized yeah. it and he saw that don't mess up a formula and don't come in and try to orchestrate a guy who already knows what he's doing. You know, I mean, you don't, you don't go into a well-working work, sports team and say, okay, we're going to turn the point guard into the center now and right. the, the two guard into the power forward. You know what I mean? We knew how yeah. to tell a compelling animal story. And that's the key. How do you keep people attached to the narrative the entire time and keep them on the edge of your seat? It's the Steven Spielberg theory, you know? How do you keep people wanting to see what that next scene is? And uh, we're really good at that at Brave Wilderness. Yeah, and, and to have that freedom with a network is incredible. Um, because, you know, even yeah. tried and tested crews that work with networks all the time still have to have picture lock approved by executive producers at the network. It's very rare that you actually get right. to, to to have picture lock yourself. That, that's fantastic. So so moving on that, to go ahead. Go ahead. Yeah. Oh, no, I was just gonna say, and that that's the greatest thing about the YouTube space. I just want to make that comparison between network television and YouTube. And, you know, 
is it to say that I won't ever do something in the network television space again? I don't know. Now that we're coming out of COVID and new opportunities are presenting themselves on a nearly weekly basis to me, there's a good chance that I will do something, at least maybe in the, in the streaming side of things. So there's a couple projects we have in development now, but the freedom you get with YouTube is unlike anything that has ever existed in the entertainment industry. There is literally nobody telling me where I can or cannot go on this planet and what animal I can or cannot film with and what story I should or should not tell. And that I think is the most powerful thing for a, a person like myself and a, and a team like that which we've built here at Brave Wilderness because to us, some animal stories may be insanely important, but to an executive somewhere, they might say, I've never even heard of this animal. Why would we want to tell its story? Yeah. I can give you 101 reasons why we want to tell it, but if somebody doesn't want to give you that financing to go tell the story, you can't get it done. We don't have those problems because we control the narrative and where all the financing comes from in the YouTube space. So it's a pretty unique opportunity that you know, didn't exist a decade ago. Yeah, um, no, absolutely. I mean, the, the freedom is astonishing. And it has yeah. to be said again, though, that it only works well when you have a crew like yourself who understands story, understands mm -hmm. that there's a need for pre-production. You've got to have your ducks in a row before you go out. I think, you know, 99% of people on YouTube run out with a camera and try and film something because they think that's filmmaking and of course pre-production is at least 50 percent of a production if not more um and mm -hmm. you know the actual out in the field with the camera is such a small part of the production when you think about post-production pre-production um people don't realize that they don't see that that is the they're the nuances that you learn as a professional in the field working with crews training going to university and learning these things and, and that's what makes it you know it, it looks easy as you say but everything good looks easy and that's yeah. that's the point right so um Absolutely. yeah that freedom i mean i've worked with you know we've made a bunch of shows obviously with network tv and the restrictions upon you are massive you know you've got mm -hmm. the uh, the the budgetary restrictions you've got the restrictions of permitting and having to always get clearance for where you want to go what you can do whether you're in front of the camera behind the camera producing whatever it is there's so many restrictions that as you say you don't have and if you can control it yourself then the sky's the limit I recently got introduced to Athletic Greens as a way to optimize for better gut health, get more energy, and optimize the immune system. So what is this stuff? Well, with one delicious scoop of AG1, you're absorbing 75 high-quality vitamins, minerals, whole food source superfoods, probiotics, and adaptogens to help you start your day right. This special blend of ingredients supports your gut health, your nervous system, your immune system, your energy, recovery, focus, and aging. It's a lifestyle-friendly brand, which means whether you're eating keto or paleo, vegan, dairy-free, gluten-free, it's going to work for you. It contains less than one gram of sugar. There's no GMOs, no nasty chemicals or artificial anything while still tasting good. And for every purchase, Athletic Greens is going to donate to organizations helping to get nutritious food to kids in need, including No Kid Hungry here in the U.S. In fact, in 2020 alone, Athletic Greens donated over 1.2 million meals to kids. And not only that, Athletic Greens is a climate-neutral certified company. Again, in 2020, Athletic Greens purchased carbon credits to support projects protecting old-growth rainforests. That's huge. Right now, it's time to reclaim your health and arm your immune system with the convenient daily nutrition. It's just one scoop in a cup of water every day. That's it. No need for a million different pills and supplements to look out for your health. So to make it easy... Athletic Greens is going to give you a free one-year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. All you have to do to get this deal is visit athleticgreens.com forward slash emerging. That's E-M-E-R-G-I-N-G. Again, that's athleticgreens.com forward slash emerging 
to take ownership of your health and pick up the ultimate daily nutritional insurance. Now back to the show. I'm really interested in terms of the safety side. Obviously, you have those freedoms, right? The freedom to do what you're doing for a network show, going back, really, Steve Irwin era. I, I was I was on National Geographic as a presenter around the time Steve Irwin was on uh, Discovery. I wasn't mm -hmm. in North America. I was the rest of the world. And it was just very interesting because of the... Um, the differences in terms of how things were working back then to how they are now. Um, reality TV was becoming far more popular at that point, kind of building up. And, and so restrictions were easing. Now, I think 10 years ago, maybe 15 years ago, if you had gone to a network and said, okay, I'm going to get stung by a bullet ant, you know, in a jungle somewhere, you would have been hard. It would have been hard to get the go ahead to have anyone do that. Mm -hmm. So t tell me what, you know, purely from a safety standpoint right how what kind of safety protocols do you guys have in place so when you're heading out there and you're in a remote area whatever you're being stung by you don't know what it's going to do to you so what what kind of standby do you have in terms of if something goes wrong so safety is always a, a top priority with any type of episode that we're filming right so if you're talking specifically about the sting and bite content which Strangely enough, only makes up about two to five percent of the whole content on the channel. It sure. just happens yeah. to be the yeah. most famous. Um, but it doesn't matter what type of episode that we're doing, we always cross our T's and dot our I's. So whether that comes with getting permits to film in certain location locations, working with certain you know credited experts that are either researching a species or have permits themselves that we can piggyback onto to interact with a certain kind of species. When it comes to the intentional bites or stings, you know, you don't need a permit to go out and catch a bullet ant in Central or South America and get stung by it. I mean, your permit is you want to go through a momentous amount of pain, just go for it. Um, but we do a lot of research ahead of time to find out how many people, if any, have actually died from these venoms? And you always come back to the same exact answer. It's how does an individual's body react to a certain type of venom? Now, I'm super resilient against a lot of things. And, you know, I knock on wood because you never know when your time's going to come. But, you know, I've gotten bites, scrapes, cuts, lacerations, you name it, damage to my body that's been packed full of mud, animal saliva, uh, seawater, you name it, and I've never gotten an infection. I, I kid you not, I've never had an infection in my entire life. I've never had stitches. I've never had a broken bone. Now, am I lucky? I don't know. Am I careful? I try to be, but I've also had a lot of really bad accidents that I probably shouldn't have walked away from. A lot of people joke that I'm like the coyote from the Warner Brothers cartoon, which is, of course, right. where my nickname came from, um, yeah. that I just keep bouncing back and keep getting to live life again and again. But with the, the stings and the bites specifically, you know, none of them have done anything catastrophic. When you think about the fact that a bullet ant, right, let's just talk about the, one of the most famous ones. It's a very painful sting. But there are also tribes in South America that will wear gloves of these things and get stung over and over and over again and go through this ritual multiple times transitioning from manhood to boyhood. Yeah. It's like, well, if these little kids aren't dying from every time they put on bullet ant gloves, I'm pretty sure I'm going to be fine getting stung sure. once. Yeah. And what makes our work so popular is not the fact that it isn't painful, because trust me, it is. It's about the shot selection, the music, the editing, all of that. The stuff that comes after you're in the field, when you put that story together, the Spielberg side of things that gives you a narrative that you can't look away from. And the big thing with the, the bite and sting stuff for us that sort of become the, the tribute to Coyote Peterson at this point is that we don't clickbait, right? So that famous word that, that came with, with the digital age of, yeah. oh, show me an image and a title and Somebody says they're going to do something and then they chicken out at the end. Yeah. We always delivered on even the craziest stuff. And people were like, this guy's nuts. That's why we're going to watch it. And it's not that I'm nuts. I'm very well calculated. And I'd, I'd like to think very well planned and, and intelligent when it comes to how to tell these stories. But we do do an exceptional amount of research. And as a safety protocol, this is where I'm ultimately going with this, in a worst case scenario, we've always alerted local medical facilities as to what it is that we're doing. And we do have satellite phones, a phone that we pay for 
very expensive on a yearly basis that literally has a button that if we push it, a life flight helicopter will come and extract me from anywhere that I am in any location. We are always testing and making sure that that phone is, is up to date because honestly, the things that I feel are more dangerous when we're on these adventures are the elements themselves within nature. So whether that's you know freak storm that might come out of somewhere, um, rock slides happening, trees falling down, uh, somebody slipping and falling and hurting themselves or accidentally getting bitten by a venomous snake, those are far more of a threat than any of the intentional bites or stings that I've ever ever performed. And and I think that's great to hear because I I just really wanted to hear you know the, the that side of things because it, viewers see that kind of stuff and they see your remote they don't really know what you've set up in terms of pre-production and safety in the background yeah. um you know whenever i'm out on a shoot i always have a spot beacon with me same thing you press a button the helicopter can be be in and extract you from wherever you are those things are expensive to have but they're such mm -hmm an important part of it and of course people don't realize that that, that if you are going to do something like that you've got to have those protocols in place but just yep. because the last thing you want to do is have someone hurt and as we know with so many venomous snakes and um, spiders you might only have 30 minutes if you do react badly to it maybe less and so it's always worth having mm -hmm. that stuff in place so that's fantastic let's talk a bit about some of the the educational stuff you're doing now because i know you've you've got had a lot of changes you've kind of split in different ways you've got have you got different channels or are they is it the same channel that you're doing multiple kind of uh um series on because i know it's changed because yeah. i know recently you've you were actually out with stephanie arnie i saw that uh doing mm -hmm. uh, a field trip at the um the wolf center the endangered wolf center tell us a little bit about about that series yeah, so the, the way that we've always approached Brave Wilderness is to keep it as diverse as possible. Uh, so my business partner, Mark, and I, you know, we started this with Coyote Peterson being the face of the brand, which, of, of course, I still am. Uh, Mark has branched off and we, we sent him out to do some expedition stuff uh, for a series called Blue Wilderness. So he did a lot of diving stuff. He's very into the diving world. Um, we recently did a, a co-production with uh, Appian Way, which is Leonardo DiCaprio's production company, uh, a series called Brave Mission that Mark went out and hosted that raised some support for uh, Varunga National Park and the, the gorillas. So we, we sort of split Mark off into this world. It's like, let's test this as somebody that the audience is used to seeing on Brave Wilderness from behind the scenes, Petri dish that and see if we can expand this universe into even more characters, so to speak, right? So like the Walt Disney or the Warner Brothers approach. Um, and right now, I, I don't want to re reveal names until it's finalized, but we have two um, wonderful female show hosts that we are in the process of, of developing series for. So you're going to start to see a, a much stronger female representation on the Brave Holders channel moving forward with some new series um, and eventually some more diversity because we are very well aware that you got two white guys hosting at the moment. We need to diversify. We need to get more females in front of the camera. So Big plans in that direction to continue expanding the universe of Brave Wilderness as a whole. And this is part of our, our, our business plan design. I mean, I'm going to be Coyote Peterson forever, but I can't be the only one that is bringing animal stories to the world. And as sure. a producer and director myself, I really want to get the chance to work with up and coming people that want to be wildlife show hosts and teach them what it is that I learned hopefully get them through some of those pitfalls a lot quicker and get them the chance to be in front of the camera and, and spreading these conservation messages. So when you ask the question about the conservation education work that we're doing, yes, we are producing some new series like Wild Field Trip, with, which was a contracted series we did for YouTube Originals, specifically in the kids division. Uh, but there are a number of different conservation initiatives that we are, are getting behind right now. And we've really just recently grown to that size, right? So people would constantly yeah. come to me and say, Coyote, look, you've got millions of subscribers. Clearly people can look up the numbers online and, and make a guesstimate as to how much revenue we bring in on a yearly basis. And honestly, that doesn't even really scrape the surface. And we're now just getting to the point where we're able to use some of this funding to start getting behind conservation initiatives. And people want to know why we couldn't do that sooner. And there's there's a it's not that we weren't doing it. It's that when you run a business that currently has 19 people under its banner, including myself, it's tough to, to yeah. cover that many salaries and take care of offices, pay your own production budgets, right? Because we, we finance all of our own trips. But we're now finally getting to that size. We're not only in 
revenue, but also in global reach, whether it's through our audience or the people that we've been able to connect to and form partnerships that we can really start driving forward bigger uh, conservation initiatives. And that's really becoming a focus for myself personally, um, as well as Mark, and it will be for the, the next foreseeable future with Brave Wilderness. So you, you'll see me start to go less in front of the camera. I'll still be in front of the camera for big marquee pieces every single year, but you're gonna start seeing some new faces and you're gonna start seeing Brave Wilderness get even more involved with, with big name conservation initiatives and partners to try to really be the spokesperson to drum up that additional financial support for the the, the support that's needed um, with different conservation groups. No, I think that's wonderful because it, it, it can be easy to see your um, you, you know how popular you've been. Obviously, the Sting stuff has, is up there, getting just massive amounts of hits. Mm -hmm. And you know, I've heard it before. People just can pigeonhole at that point and think, well, it's just like you say, clickbait, or it's just this, or it's just you know, that's that's brave wilderness in a nutshell. And I wanted to touch on that because you are doing so many other things that are conservation based, education based, and for people who aren't following you they're not going to understand that and see what you're doing in the background. So just to get an idea of all of those things you're doing and to be able to use your fame and your success in that way is fantastic. And also see that you are working towards bringing other people into the mix and mm -hmm. really diversifying in your programming, your presenters, everything you're doing. I think uh, yeah, my hat's off to you. I think it's fantastic. Yeah. Well, so, well, thanks. You, you yeah. definitely feel a huge piece. Like, you know, when I was, was coming up and trying to get into this game, the biggest challenge is that nobody wanted to give me the opportunity. So I yeah. really want to be, as is my business partner, Mark, and Brave Wilderness as a whole, really wants to be the type of organization that says, we want to get somebody the next chance. Like, I don't want to be the guy that's, you know, jumping on the back of, of alligators when I'm 55 years old. You know, I'm, I'm 40 right. years old right now. Yeah. Fortunately, very physically fit and healthy for my age and can keep doing this. But I also recognize that to really grasp the younger generation, which we've done a great job of doing, you also have to bring in somebody that's even younger to catch the next generation. And it's got to kind of be a cycle to keep it moving forward. And, you know, there aren't a lot of, if any, um, wildlife brands that I think have successfully done that. Now, that's not to say that Steve Irwin wasn't going to do it at some point, but, you know, you don't see Jeff Corwin out there, you know, grooming the next Jeff Corwin. You don't see Austin Stevens. You don't, you know what I mean? None of these guys yeah, were like, yeah. who's going to be next? I think it's yeah. really important to recognize that and help usher that person in to teach them the right way to produce this content and keep that message consistent. It's the message that Brave Wilderness ultimately wants to try to get out to the world with how you interact with animals and the respect that they deserve back in return. No, I think it's fantastic. And, and so you're building a group, a production company based around, you know, splitting off and doing all of these different projects, as opposed to just being a presenter and just continuing mm -hmm. along that road, because all of those things are limited. There, there's a limited time, as you say, whether it's you getting too old to jump on an alligator or whether it's the fact that, you know, you just everything runs its course to a degree. Right. I mean, that's why we right. don't see Hollywood movies running for 20 or 30. Well, I guess we do with James Bond, but there's <laughs> yeah, only certain only certain things that run that long. Right. Uh, most right, things, right. you know, peak and then they come down the other side. So the fact that you're doing that and you can see into the future and, and see mm -hmm. what's going to make Brave Wilderness popular and continue it's fantastic. I, I think it's really good. I, I have to ask you this one, one thing because I, I keep thinking about it. Yeah. You, you're Coyote Peterson, right? Your name is Nathaniel. When did you transition? And I, I only ask this because when we were communicating, you said you can call me Coyote because I was calling you yeah. Nathaniel. And w when did you transition to being Coyote full time? Are you Coyote full time? Do, do yeah, you, does I'm, your family call you Coyote? <laughs> uh, oh, my daughter definitely calls me dad. But um, right, right, yeah, you know, it, I guess it depends on the circumstances. So 95% of life is Coyote. And you know, I've had the nickname Coyote since I was about eight years old. Uh, the only point that oh, I right. abandoned it was when I got to high school and, yeah. you know, trying to get dates on Friday night with girls to be like, you know, my nickname's Coyote and let's go in the woods behind my house and catch snapping turtles. Probably wasn't going to fly. So I was super into right. sports and sport cars and, and all that stuff. So yeah. during high school and college, it really wasn't a thing. But 
I had shared it with my producing partners when we started redesigning this animal show. And, you know, so Nate is uh, the, usually a nickname for Nathaniel. And we were like, yeah. man, like people are not going to remember Nate. It might as well be Pete or Matt or sure. what any other four letter name that's yeah. out there. And I told them about my nickname Coyote as a kid. They're like, dude, Bear is as popular as you could be right now. Yeah. So why don't we compete with Bear? We'll make we'll bring back Coyote and people are going to remember what this is. And and sure enough, like it, it works. People remember the name. Um, you know, a lot of my outfit that I wear in the field influenced by Indiana Jones. Like when we were designing, like, what are you going to look like on camera? We immediately thought, well, I loved action figures growing up. So I was like, mm -hmm. we need to turn me into a human action figure. I want all the stuff, yep. the packs, the knives, the kit, you know, the cowboy hat is very Indiana Jones. And, and while yes, there are other people that have done it. I don't know that anybody's done it as well as we have because it's just become so iconic for our brand at this point. Uh, and, yeah. and again, influenced by Steven Spielberg, figure out how to build a brand and you become a household name. Yeah. So are you um, sponsored by Craghopper? Do you, you wear a lot of Craghopper clothes, I think. Do you have sponsorship with them or how does I, that I, work? I bounce back and forth between a number of different sponsors. So we were yeah. sponsored by Craghoppers for a number of years. Right now, I'm currently wearing mostly 5.11 tactical gear. I'm not okay. officially sponsored by them, but they just yep. opened up a store here in Columbus. Um, I just started trying out their products, and I absolutely love them. Um, I've been sponsored by Keen, Danner Boots, uh, Sog Knives. I mean, a whole slew of things that, that have, sure. have come through as of recent, and we're, we're currently working on a deal with um, Jeep. I drive a Jeep in my everyday life, and we just had Jeep as a sponsor for uh, a big Rhino episode that we filmed in South Africa. So it varies. I like to stay yeah. um, as flexible as possible. One of the things that's shifted with today's media landscape is there's no longer you're just committed to one brand and one brand only. And a lot of these yeah. brands know that. It's like, I might like this from this brand and this from this brand. And like, if they all want the showcase space of being on, on Brave Wilderness, like everybody's just got to play nice in the sandbox and it usually yeah. works out pretty well. No, that's great. I, I, I only asked because I had sponsorship with Craghopper years ago on one of our insect shows. Mm -hmm. yeah, and, um, and being products. a UK, yeah, UK company at the time, but being on network, again, you were restricted of how many kind of sponsorships you could have. Again, you don't have those yeah. restrictions. So let's let's just talk about so people can get their head around, you know, if they're looking to get into YouTube, they're looking to, you know, how do you earn a living from this, right? What would yeah. you say makes up, I mean, obviously you have ad revenue, you have sponsorship deals, and probably a whole plethora of other stuff from mm -hmm. there. What would you say makes up your kind of revenue? You don't have to give numbers away here, but just yeah. in terms of um, percentages, where would you say the bulk of your revenue comes from when you're dealing with YouTube? series you youtube is definitely a huge revenue stream for us right i mean we're doing on average you know it, it, youtube is such a weird fickle machine too right it's all about yeah. time of year it's all about time of the month it's all about really the ad cycles right the major all, all sure. the majority of youtube money comes through google ad revenue um yeah. so different times of the year do better based on when people are spending their advertising budgets but for brave wilderness it makes up somewhere between 40 and 50% of our revenue. So there are many revenue streams that currently build up the Brave Wilderness model, most of which people will be like, wait a minute, you you have a revenue stream over, over here and over there? Because the only outward facing ones you usually see are things like Facebook, YouTube. Sure. Instagram is very, very tiny. Uh, TikTok doesn't really have any value for us at this point, even though we've, we've got a few million followers there because it's, it's not monetized. But a big portion of our revenue actually comes in relicensing our content to other countries. So oh. when you think about the animal space specifically, it's evergreen, right? The value of a badger, and by value, I mean the educational value about a sure. badger. Yeah. We did an episode on badgers in 2014. Now, I could shoot you another badger episode, which I would very much love to do with better cameras, better sound equipment, better storyline, but that badger from 2014 hasn't changed. Everything yeah. I'm gonna tell you about a badger in 2022 is pretty much the same as in 2014. So that piece of content carries on a life that just goes forever. And that's what's so cool about our content is that we can, not only is it being viewed every single day on the YouTube channel and it never becomes obsolete, but yeah. we can license it into so many other verticals um, throughout the world. And those become very big uh, revenue streams 
once they start to add up. We call it mailbox money, where it's like checks just show up once a quarter. Yeah. You're like, yep. holy cow, this deal did <laughs> this many views this month, and I don't even yeah. know where stuff's playing half the time, sure. or it's translated into another language or, or subtitles yeah. put to it. So. Um, Animal, anybody that produces wildlife content will tell you that sometimes the greatest value comes from licensing and putting that content out elsewhere where that for most people isn't even seen. Yeah. And as you say, you know, it's not so much the gear. I know for, for a while there, it was kind of like, okay, you, you know, cameras are getting better. They're HD. Now they're 4K. Now, of course, they're 8K and 12K and all sorts of crazy Ks, right? And yeah, we can't even edit end, that stuff. <laughs> no, I mean, at the end of the day, it just doesn't matter if you have behavior or story or content that is people are willing to watch i have a mentoring group and i i talk about this all the time that one it's story you gotta have your story in line if you don't if, you know it doesn't matter if you own a red epic or a red uh, monstro 8k camera if you've got no story and nothing worth watching no one will stay and watch it yet if yep. you we can sit and watch world war ii documentaries that have a great story someone like ken burns or doing a civil mm -hmm. war documentary and it's all archive footage taken with cameras years ago and yet it's so watchable because of the storyline so there is mm -hmm. no barrier to entry anymore with that kind of stuff and it's interesting to you say as you say you could refilm it but what's the point Right. right. And, you know, refilming becomes uh, at a certain point, like where we are now, a, a want versus a necessity and a timing thing and access to certain species. Um, you know, I listened to your interview with uh, Casey Anderson the other day. And Casey's one of my, my all time favorites. I've never had the chance to work with him, but I've been following his career since the start. And I know at the end of your interview, uh, he mentioned wanting to do more work with wolverines. And I've gotten to yeah. work with a wolverine once before. Um, and you start getting to that that point in your career point I'm, I'm trying to make here is that when you've done it enough and you've found success for yourself then you can kind of start cherry picking the yeah. animals that you want to go after and and one of the things you two both talked about was having the right story and that that truly is it i mean you look at some of the most successful projects in entertainment industry you can have all the special effects budget in the world but if you don't have the right narrative to to through line your beginning to end nobody really cares at the end of the day. Um, so for us, we are always looking to advance our technology, but more importantly, importantly, we're looking for how can we tell a super engaging story? Because especially in today's digital space and the lack of people's attention span in the digital world, if yeah. you can't keep them hooked, 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 forget about it. It's not going to work yeah. in the YouTube space, which at the end of the day, honestly, is quite frustrating in many instances. So for us, it's always a challenge to figure out how are you going to keep the the average view time as high as possible. And the digital space now with, with TikTok seeping in, trust me, it is becoming more and more of a challenge. So do you, with bearing that in mind, are there times when you go, okay, let, let's go over here and make a, a slower documentary or something that just, you mm -hmm. know, has, you know, ekes out in a different speed. Do you ever get those moments where you think you're going to move, move that way for, for a different I, network or? Yeah, eventually I would love to. And the thing is, I think that one of the things that's made Brave Wilderness so palatable for a younger audience demographic and then for the parents to also hop on board, too, is we don't ever really give you the chance to get bored. Uh, yeah. I would love to make something that is much slower, much more cinematic. But we do realize that even in the YouTube space, you can only give people a flavor of that before they're like, and yeah. somebody's texting me or maybe right, something right. more interesting is happening on TikTok. Yeah. So yeah. I think I would be very inclined to make something that was of a slower approach, call it the planet Earth style, if it sure. was financed by an, an outside network, right? If Netflix yeah. came to me yeah. and said, look, we want to make a six part series on X, Y, and Z, I'd say, okay, cool. I don't have to worry about keeping audience attention span to guarantee ad revenue dollars, that direction I can be more comfortable with. The one thing that, that I don't feel comfortable with in the type of storytelling that we are currently working within is I don't want to lose the audience. I want to yeah. be known as the person that can tell you a story that is 15 minutes long, but you feel like I only spent five minutes of your time. For yeah. me, that is a really good feeling when somebody says, whoa, I learned all of that in 15 minutes get that thing whizzed by and you're like yeah that's called good editing good music placement 
great presentation in the field and good story producing because you yeah. never got slowed down and you never lost your attention span. And if you've stayed for 15 minutes, what happens with Brave Wilderness is people are like, dang, and he's got an episode on this too. And then people yeah. just go down the rabbit hole one after the next, after the next. I can't yeah. tell you how many people I've heard say, yeah, I went to check out your videos and somehow I ended up spending two and a half hours and watched wow. like 12 pieces of content. I'm like, that's exactly what we want you to do. We don't want to bore you to death with too much natural history. We want to give you every element that we think is most important and keep you entertained the entire time. And that's just that's just the name of the yeah. game, unfortunately, in YouTube. Sure. But again, that's yeah. not to discredit anything that's done in a slower absorption space. We just can't afford to do it because we won't keep people's attention. No, and I think it's really good for you to explain that because it, it's true. I mean, you have mm -hmm. a necessity to pay the bills and to and to further the Brave Wilderness brand. You have to create a well-oiled machine. That is the nature of YouTube, and you've done it really, really well. Your success shows mm -hmm. that. Um, and and you know, look at how many. I mean, what is it now? Some ridiculous amount of videos being uploaded a day on YouTube, right? So to to have. What have you got? Nearly 20 million subscribers, I think, something like that. You know, to yeah. have that kind of loyal, you know, uh, viewership is amazing in this day and age. But it came through a lot of planning. And I think with, with that, and, and, you know, I've spoken about that a lot. And I, I like to just because so many people listen to this are aspiring wildlife filmmakers. Yeah. And I can't say it enough that pre-production story planning what you're doing is so important. And for someone like you to, to spell that out as well, I think is so valuable. So with that in mind, thinking of the aspiring wildlife filmmaker out there, we've got a lot of people listen to this, uh, aspiring wildlife presenters, aspiring camera people aspiring producers, directors, you name it, they want to be in this world of wildlife filmmaking. What would you say, and having, obviously you've done all of those things, what would you say is the most important piece of advice that you could uh, you could give them today? Yeah, that's a, that's a great question. So it obviously all starts at the beginning. You have to just start. You have to have the confidence to start. But if you're looking to go specifically into the digital space, whether you want to call that Facebook, YouTube, or TikTok at this point. The way these machines work is based off of consistency. So to your point, talking about pre-production and what, what Mark and I did early on with Brave Wilderness, which was to be contracted for 12 episodes, yet we went and made 52. That 52 became a consistency on a weekly basis where people were like, how are they doing this? How are they continuing to go, go, go? And at this point, we're in our eighth year of distributing content on the Brave Wilderness YouTube channel, and we haven't missed a beat. And it's really tough to produce that much content to keep something going. And my point is that if you're going to start, have a plan in place where you're able to continue. It's very difficult to go out and make even a single piece of content from start to finish to ultimate distribution. If you get that far, it's a huge accomplishment. But doing something once only gives you one chance to find success. Do you know how many videos on the we've got over 700 videos on Brave Wilderness right now? And do you know how many of them are not hits? probably 80% of them, right? 20% wow. yeah. of our content, of our library is the, the 10 million plus videos. You know, yeah. there are plenty of videos that only have 500,000 views or a million views, which, you know, I don't mean to sound like that isn't a lot. Yeah. It is, but what I'm saying is that not everything can be a viral runaway hit. And if you want to go out there and take your chance at getting into this game of wildlife filmmaking, it's more possible now than it ever was before, not only because there are distribution networks at people's fingertips that do not require a pitch meeting and somebody giving you a green light, but because you've got the ability to take your own initiative and go out and create the content. So when it comes to how you do it, find somebody that wants to be the camera guy. Find the person that wants to be in front of the camera. If that's you and you've got the confidence to do it, know what it is you're talking about because nothing's worse than somebody that gets on camera and they don't know what to say. Spend time doing research. If you need to write lines and memorize them, do it. But anybody who's a wildlife show host presenter will tell you anything's going to happen in the moment. So thinking you're going to memorize lines is probably not going to work. You've got to be able to improv in that instance. But it's about people running in the lanes that they know that they're best at, right? And early on, if you're starting a company, um, the way that Mark and I did it, he knew his role was from a, a director shooter perspective. 
I was the host, writer, editor. And we would combine all this together in like a predator format where there was only two of us for a very long time um, working on this content. And by knowing your role and understanding how to execute it to the best of your ability, you're going to give yourself the best chance of ultimately finding success. But really, again, it comes down to if you're going to start be ready to go and be ready to not stop because there's no more, oh, someone's going to give me a television deal. Like those days are over and done with. If you think that you can go into a network and pitch and you're going to be the next Steve Irwin, doesn't work like that nowadays. You got to make it for yourself. And that's the thing that's the most scary to the networks is that people are able to do this and we need more people doing it, but you have to do it the right way. And if you've got a good background in, in wildlife or you can work with people that are experts in certain fields, you're going to get a lot further because I think, you know, speaking on behalf of Brave Wilders, I'm sure for you, Jake, and, and anybody else that's in this field, what we don't want to see is people who do not have experience going out, trying to interact with things that are ultimately going to get them hurt because it happens on a daily basis. And with Brave Wilderness, we are constantly reminding the, the audience do not try to replicate and do the things that you see me doing. That's not to say don't go out and make wildlife adventure films. It means be smart about it. Don't go out and try to catch a rattlesnake your first time you're catching a snake. Start with a black rat snake. Start with a, 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 a python. Don't start with something that can kill you within a matter of hours, if that, if that makes sense. So no, it, it is completely sense, doable yeah. for anybody that wants to do it. You just have to take the smart approach to accomplishing it. Yeah, no, that, those those are good words. I think it's, you know, it is it, people get inspired when they see any wildlife host out there on TV, uh, you know, whether it's network or YouTube, someone being successful, doing what they love to do. And of course, it looks easy. Uh, what they don't see is the lifetime of experience that went into it. And as you said, you started mm -hmm. as a kid, you know, out there and that was your passion. Yeah, lots of kids want to go out and play with frogs and do things, but is it something that you do regularly? Is it something that you you really observe behavior of animals? And even if you're not starting at five years old or 10 years old, mm -hmm. even if you're in your 20s already and you haven't had that much experience, just, you know, being around wildlife, observing wildlife, as you say, not putting yourself in dangerous positions, uh, you know, right. unnecessarily is, uh, is the name of the game. Coyote, yeah, it's, thank you. It's, oh, go ahead. Go ahead. Oh, no, I've got a bit as, of a delay a, here, so. Yeah, no, I was just going to say as, as a, a last, you know, thought to anybody that wants to go out there and they want to be the next Jeff Corwin, the next Coyote Peterson, the next Austin Stevens or Steve Irwin or whoever it might be, there's going to be somebody who's next. And as Brave Wilderness and as Coyote Peterson, we're trying to recognize that and look for those people actively. And it's a tough job to get, you know, everybody wants to grow up and be a professional athlete or a rock star or maybe a, an animal show host presenter. And it's just as hard as any of these other niche fields, but it is completely doable. And the kids that are watching Brave Wilderness today, and whether those are kids that are four years old or 84 years old, if you really have a passion for it, you'll find a way to accomplish it. Like, like I said, you have to start and you have to be willing to keep going because it's not just going to happen overnight. You got to keep at it and keep at it and keep at it. But it, it is possible. And I'm really looking forward to seeing who's going to be the next big animal show host. Excellent. Yeah, it's not a nine to five. That's for <laughs> sure, right? <laughs> Well, so Coyote, obviously you've got the YouTube channel. Where can people connect with you? Is there anywhere else in the space that uh, that people can get hold of and see what Coyote is up to? Sure. Um, you know, obviously the YouTube channel, uh, Brave Wilderness, search it on the internet, you'll find it. Or at Coyote Peterson and at Brave Wilderness are all of our social accounts. Uh, we've got some pretty exciting stuff coming uh, this year, including some big announcements with partnerships and uh, some new projects, specifically in the conservation realm. So um, just when people think that Brave Wilderness has gone as far as it can possibly go, 2022 is going to be a, a whole new beast for us. So we're very excited to uh, take on the challenges this year is going to present. That's fantastic. I'm really excited. I, you know, I love the fact with the field trip, you're taking kids out there and you're getting them involved. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I think there's, the, the, you're taking it to, to new levels and uh, I'm excited to see what, what happens in the future. So thank you so much for taking the time out of your day. I know you're busy. Much appreciated. I'm sure the listeners are going to get a massive amount out of this. So thanks so much. Have a great day. Thanks, Jake. I appreciate it.
If you have enjoyed this episode of the Master Wildlife Filmmaking Podcast, then please consider leaving a rating and a comment. And subscribe if you haven't already done so from wherever you get your favorite podcasts from. The ratings really help rank the podcast and get more people to find it. Also, if you know someone who is into wildlife filmmaking, or maybe they're a nature photographer and they're looking to transition and they aren't listening, to the podcast currently, please tell them about it. Word of mouth is the best way for me to build my listeners uh, for this podcast. I would very much appreciate it. And also, if you are looking to break into the wildlife filmmaking industry and you're just looking for help, you're looking for answers for burning questions that you have, then please consider looking at my Master Wildlife Filmmaking Mentoring uh, Group and Mentorship Program. You can find that at Jake Willers dot com and just click on the mentoring tab or learn more tab where it says it on just the homepage there. You can find it very, very easily. And then lastly, if you want to help support this podcast, the best way you can do it other than just telling other people about the podcast is to go to our Patreon page. It's patreon.com forward slash MWFP. That's patreon.com forward slash MWFP. And there you can get all sorts of bonus content. We have extracts from podcasts that didn't make it to the, these episodes because they went on so long uh, because I didn't want to stop talking with our guests. So we put the extra content there. There are catch-up conversations with previous guests, finding out what they've been doing since I last spoke to them, and so much more of the behind the scenes. Please consider taking a look. That is the best way to sponsor this podcast and get more episodes in the future.